what's a common mistake marketers make though is they they go back to the like oh trust us we know it's working kind of mentality they work in a black box where oh it's this crazy marketing science that only we can understand and no one else in the organization could possibly understand it because marketing's so smart um, marketers who have that mindset are going to get fired you're listening to paris talks marketing my goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industry. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm with Jeff Perkins, the CEO at Park Mobile. And Park Mobile, if you don't know, is the number one parking app in the United States with over 30 million users. And, I, and Jeff, I saw also that something in the neighborhood of 75 billion uh, parking uh, reservations made, which is, which is amazing. Prior I to wish it was mobile, reservations. It's actually minutes of parking. <laughs> I'm sorry, not reservations. That, that's an, I know that's a newer feature, uh, minutes of parking. But um, that that uh, that number just jumped off of the page for me. Um, uh, incredible. So um, just to finish off uh, your intro here, uh, prior to Park Mobile, Jeff was the CMO at QA Symphony, which is now called Tricentis, where he helped establish the brand and grow revenue 500% over a three-year period which led to a $40 million Series C round with Insight Venture Partners. Jeff's also held senior marketing leadership positions at PGI and at AutoTrader. Jeff started his career grinding it out in the New York City ad industry at Saatchi & Saatchi. Uh, that's awesome. His experiences range from traditional to digital, B2C to B2B, agency side, client side. Jeff's work has earned him numerous accolades, including Atlanta Business Chronicles Max Award for Marketing Excellence, and the Technology Association of Georgia's Award for Marketing Executive of the Year. Jeff received his BA from American University and MBA from Emory University's Guizeta, I think, business school. Guizueta. I'm sorry, Guizueta? Guizueta, yeah. <laughs> it's I hard knew to I was going to get tripped up on that, <clears throat> where he's now an adjunct professor. He's a frequent contributor to several marketing publications and a speaker at many industry events. His book, which we'll talk about in a minute, How Do Not, How Do Not Suck at Marketing, was published by How to Conquer in 2021, just a few months ago. And when he's not working, you might find him riding his Peloton bike or attending a Bruce Springsteen concert, which he's been to 32 of those. <laughs> and uh, he lives today lives in Atlanta, Georgia, with his awesome wife, <clears throat> who's also a grad from Guizetta. Sorry again if I butchered that. Uh, two adorable daughters, aged 11 and 13, and two poorly behaved rescue dogs. All right. So, um, awesome intro, Jeff. First of all, welcome to the show. How are you Thanks, doing today? Thanks, Paris. Thanks. Uh, good to be here. Great. Um, so, that, that has been quite a journey. I mean, we, we could go in so many directions just off of that intro alone. But I want to start off with the book, and I think that um, one thing that you clearly nailed here is, is with a title, <clears throat> How to Not Suck at Marketing. 
Uh, what inspired you? First of all, wh what gave you the inspiration for that title? And the follow-up question is, did that title inspiration lead you to the book or did you have the ideas for the book? And then later you, you, you had the Eureka moment with the title. Yeah, it's an interesting story how I came up with the title. And uh, I was speaking at a marketing conference. It's one of these, um, they call them the digital summit conferences. They do them all over the country. And whenever you speak at these conferences, you're always, uh, there's always multiple sessions going on at the same time. So uh, I would be competing with two other sessions and I'm competitive. So I want the most people in my session. And I knew that mm -hmm. The way to get more people in my session was to have a really good title. And I was just thinking yeah. through what the presentation was about. And it, it was about this experience I had at a company called PGI, where I came in, I was handed a, a really broken marketing function, and I had to pick up the pieces and turn it around and, and make something of it and, and start to show progress, start to drive results, start to drive revenue for the business. And it was really hard. And, um, and I thought back about, okay, what what about that experience translates to a title? And, and it occurred to me that, you know, for a while when I was at PGI, I felt really, I felt like I sucked at marketing because the state of our marketing function there was so bad. And over time we were able to, to suck less mm -hmm. or, or not suck at marketing. And so I said, well, that's kind of a fun title. So I, I, the title of the presentation for the digital summit was how not to suck at marketing. And so I show up to give my presentation, uh, you know, you show up 20 minutes before your session is going to start. And, and there's another session about at the same time about social media. There's a session about effective uh, SEO strategies. And I walk into my session and it, the, the room was jammed. It was like standing room only. People are sitting on the floor. And I was like, is this for me? And everyone's like, yeah, everyone started showing up, you know, like 10 minutes ago because they want to see mm -hmm. this session. And I go peek into the other sessions and no one's in there. And so clearly there was something about the title, how not to suck at marketing that really was resonating with people. And, and I kind mm -hmm. of said, well, I think I'm onto something here. And I got up on stage and I think the first thing I said was, well, I guess uh, this is a support group for marketers who suck. And, and it got, got a nice laugh, but there's some mm -hmm. truth in that. And, and the fact is uh, we all feel like we suck sometimes at the job. And so the goal in the book was really to, to write a survival's guide for modern marketers. Uh, marketing is very hard today. And I think back when I started in, the, in marketing and advertising, really all you had at that point were, it was traditional media. It, it was a lot simpler. Uh, today, you have this explosion of not just uh, advertising tactics, both traditional and digital, but then you have all these uh, MarTech tools out there. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, what tools are going to work? What aren't going to work? What do I need to buy? What don't I need to buy? And so it's very hard to be a marketer today. And so really the book is about how to, how to navigate through this new world we live in and, and be successful in your career or in your job. And mm -hmm. uh, if you can't be successful, uh, maybe you can just suck a little less than you suck today. Yeah. What is it about the psychology of that title, in your opinion, that just had everybody jamming into that room when they could have gone to all these specialized SEO this or pay-per-click that. Why did everybody come there? I mean, what, what does that tell you about human psychology? I mean, just that sometimes there's a general, a more general kind of presentation, which leaves it up a little bit more to people's imagination might just draw them in because maybe they, they wonder 
I'm just curious why why I, that? I mean, what 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 drove people <laughs> into that room about that title? Well, listen, a provocative title, a provocative title is always going to do well in a conference, especially when you're going up against <clears throat> social media 101 and effective SEO strategies mm -hmm. or how not to suck at marketing. I, I think if I mm -hmm. were at a conference, I know what I would pick. Yeah. Gotcha, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and so I, I think there's just something in the title that is sort of provocative that mm -hmm. got people wondering, okay, what's, what's going on here? What's this all about in this session? I just want to go check it out. But the other part, the other part of it that I think is the reason the room was packed was because there's a truth to that title mm -hmm. that the reason marketers go to these conferences is because they're trying to figure some shit out, right? Yeah. They have problems that marketing as a function, it's impossible to have a complete mastery of every piece of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you go to these conferences and because there's probably something you're, you want to learn or there's something you're not doing that you think you should be doing. And these conferences mm -hmm. are great at providing an educational platform for you to learn those things. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think when people looked at that title, they said, well, I'm struggling with my marketing program. Let me go see what this is about because I'm identifying with the title. And, and that's, mm -hmm. that's really why I think a lot of people came into that room. Mm -hmm. And the concepts I talked about both in that presentation and the, in the book are not necessarily very specific to uh, this marketing tactic or that marketing tactic. It, it's more general in how you approach the job and your mindset mm -hmm. and some very simple things that I believe modern marketers have to do to be successful and to not get fired. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I guess you had a lot of people in those room that were may maybe a little bit... Uh, insecure in their jobs or perhaps wondering if they were on the chopping block unless well, they cracked some, something. We're always on yeah. the chopping block. That's, that's yeah. the truth of the job is that mm -hmm. uh, if you look at marketing functions and marketing leaders in organizations, the, the marketing leader generally has the shortest tenure in the C-suite, right? It's, mm -hmm. It averages uh, usually less than about two years, whereas the CFO and the COO mm -hmm. Um, in the head of sales, they, they usually stay mm -hmm. a bit longer, but marketing is something that tends to churn out, uh, pretty quickly. And so, mm -hmm. and so that's, if you want to, you know, be a marketer and you want to choose this profession, you have to go into it realizing, uh, you know, I'm going to be in a role that I'm going to probably have a lot of different jobs in my career. <laughs> just, just statistically, that's, that's the way it looks. Um, yeah. but, but I, the thing I find interesting today is that, you know, every day I'm talking to marketing leaders who are getting fired, losing their job, uh, getting pushed out of companies they've worked at for maybe a, a short amount of time. And at the same time, I'm talking to all these private equity people. I'm talking to venture capitalists. I'm talking to executives who are desperate to find good marketing people. <laughs> and so yeah. there's something going on here where marketing is in very high demand but marketers are still losing their job. And so why are these marketers losing their job? Oftentimes it's about the approach and the fit mm -hmm. and the way a marketer uh, executes once they get into this role. And so that's what I talk a lot about in the book is how do you enter into an organization, assess what's going on, and then don't bring just your playbook mm -hmm. to the job, but actually build a playbook based on what you see within the business mm -hmm. and what are the tactics that you think are going to work best for this business, not the tactics 
that worked well at your last company. Yeah. You gave, I think you gave some examples in the book that, uh, sometimes a proven playbook that get, that got you to that success in, in a previous role. Uh, often that's, that playbook isn't going to work again. And you might want to also be just inclined to try to tackle a big project so you can get a big signature win. So you might want to say, we're going to, we're going to redo the website. And, and I think that's a, um, I mean, that's a project that I think runs away from so many people when they try to, when they try to tackle a website redesign project. Um, but I've also found the same to be true. Just from the agency side, most of my career, just seeing marketers in, in our client companies come and go. I think the, the, the mindset really has to be very, very agile. I'm not saying don't plan. I mean, I think it's always good to have a plan, but you have to be ready at a moment's notice to throw that plan out of the window. Uh, like, like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face <laughs> and you're going to get punched in the face. I mean, you're walking into a new role and you've got to, you've got to adapt. And I think even just, you've got to get people to accept you there and, and, and you've got to fit in. And I would, I mean, the advice that I would, I would give, and, and I think you'd agree is, um, try, try to notch some of the easier victories up front so you can provide, prove a little bit of value and also prove that you're willing to that you're just willing to fit in and help some people. And then maybe some of the bigger projects, maybe put those off for a little while until you feel like you're really established in that role and ready to, yeah. to take yeah, on that and maybe have the political capital too, to take it on. Yeah. A thousand percent. Correct. I, so there's a chapter in the book called the quick win strategy. <clears throat> and to your point, this is something I've observed a lot within, um, within organizations that hire a marketing leader and the marketing leader comes in and says, uh, all right, I need to do rebranding and I'm going to rip and replace the marketing automation system. And mm -hmm. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go, uh, turn on all these new programs and I'm going to do everything, you know, in the next mm -hmm. three months and get it done. Right. And that is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe yeah. for disaster because all of those things take months and months of time to, to actually execute on. And the, the worst place you can be as a marketing leader is when uh, other executives are walking around the company and, and they, they're like, you know, I haven't, I don't really know what that person's doing. You know, I, like, yeah. you know, he or she's been here for a while. I'm not seeing a lot of results from them. Well, the fact is they're doing really hard stuff. I mean, rebranding's really hard. Building a website's really hard. You know, replacing automation, uh, marketing automation tools really hard. But what, people appreciate are, are putting runs on the board, right? Mm -hmm. And so the best advice for uh, either a marketing, whether you're a marketing leader or you're in a kind of mid-manager, individual contributor, when you get to a company, figure out what, what are those quick wins? What's the low-hanging fruit that I could take on right away, mm -hmm. execute to basically show people I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of, you know, I, you know I, I got this. And to build the confidence that they have in you as a marketing employee within the organization, it's it's so critical because um, you can take on that rebranding project or you can take on the the marketing automation implementation at some point, but mm -hmm. you need to have the credibility that you're someone who can get stuff done. And the only way to build that credibility is to show that you can do smaller things and execute them very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think on the marketing, uh, t on the tech stack side of things too, I sometimes think that that's a, that's a, 
almost a procrastination method for some people because you can always go in and, and just overhaul the tech stack. I mean, I, we're using this tool, I prefer this other tool, and we're gonna migrate. Um, but ultimately, these tools are just tools. I mean, they're not, I, I've still, I, don't, I still don't believe there's any tool that, that can guarantee success any more than its closest competitor, whether, I don't know, Salesforce or HubSpot, or you go to every category, marketing automation tools. Um, ultimately, you still have to do good marketing, and the tool is just the, the tool is just the mechanism to get you there. And I think people that obsess too much over tools, and I've seen it happen a lot, uh, I'm guilty of it sometimes myself, just because I geek out over tools. But I think it's a procrastination method too, that I don't want to tackle the big stuff, which is that our positioning is kind of wrong, or we don't have product market fit, or this brand, nobody knows this brand, you know, but I can get in and, and just fiddle around with the tech stack and, and try to replace the CRM or replace the marketing automation platform and buy myself some time and I can be busy doing that. And ultimately I'll be working on a platform that I used to work on before and I'm more comfortable. Um, but I think deep down it's procrastination with a lot of people. Um, maybe yeah, you could be right. I, you know, well, people, people gravitate to work that they're comfortable with. Right. Yeah. Uh, so if you're, you're uncomfortable with a rebrand or, or building a website, um, but you're very comfortable with an implementation of a marketing automation system, you may go there first. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that's the most important thing that's going to drive the business. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what's really important. Um, to your point, though, I, I do agree with you. Uh, I mean, all the software that's out there, it, I mean, it's fine. I mean, we, I have plenty of marketing software that we buy, but at the end of the day, it's all dumb software. You need people to, people to operate the software. Uh, yeah. You need good ideas that are going to fuel the campaigns you're doing within the software. Uh, so, you know, there's nothing... There's nothing automated about marketing. You need actual people to actually do the work, uh, yeah. which is why I think the term marketing automation is a terrible term and uh, we, sh we should do away with it and call it something else. But I always like to tell marketers that, you know, the most important thing for you to do um, within your job is to understand what the biggest problems are and focus a hundred percent of your energy on solving those problems. Right. And, I don't think in many organizations, the biggest problem is going to be that you're, you're using Marketo versus HubSpot. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the, on the priority list, that's going to be relatively mm -hmm. low, right? And if that's where mm -hmm. you focus your energy in your first 90 days, um, you're, you may be out of a job by day 120. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I think I, I like to do a, um, in any job I'm in, a, a fill in the blanks type exercise where I'm identifying, you know, we are not growing revenue faster because of blank. Could mm -hmm. be product market fit, could be we don't have enough leads coming in, whatever it is. But then you look at what you wrote in that blank and focus 100% of your energy on, all right, how do I solve that first? Because mm -hmm. if you can start to make progress on whatever you wrote in that blank, uh, it's going to really go a long way to having a program that's going to be driving results for the business, not just a good marketing program, that, that you can apply for marketing awards for, but a program that's actually going to make an impact on the business. Um, and, and so that's what it's all about. It's about focusing on the highest impact things you can do and then pushing all of your energy, all of your resources to that and getting all the other stuff out of the way. Um, you know, when I, uh, last company I was at, we, um, we were looking at rebranding. And at one point I was like, why are we rebranding? The brand is 
basically fine. It's not, mm-hmm. I mean, I would probably like a better logo, maybe a better name, but the brand's not hurting us. It's not keeping us out of deals. It's not keeping our leads from coming in. There's nothing wrong with the brand right now. The brand is not broken. What's broken? We don't have enough leads for our sales guys. So mm-hmm. we got to go fix that ASAP before we do anything related to the brand. Yeah. I, I think that's another theme that I, that I caught uh, within the book, which is balancing, lo- balancing long-term and short-term. So there's always pressure for relatively short-term ROI to be demonstrated. And that's uh, often associated with, um, that's often associated with p- p- performance marketing, whereas the longer-term stuff is more about branding. Um, so long-term versus short-term, I think, is something that also marketers that are conscious of their, their career development and, and role, they have to balance. Sometimes you're in a role where you are, um, it's very clear you're, you're in a performance marketing role and, and you're expected to show some, de- some clear ROI that you can really quantify in a relatively short window, let's say three to six months. Or you're in a brand role where it's a little, you have a little more leniency and you have a longer runway. But can you talk about it maybe for marketers who are not really sure if, am I expected to deliver ROI first and foremost within this time period? Or am I given more of a runway where I can work more on brand, where I know I could probably have a bigger impact if they give me a year. Um, but if, if you don't know by title or if nobody's really telling you, how could a marketer uh, in a state of uh, a little bit of ambiguity there, how should they approach that? I mean, there's not a real easy answer for that question, right? Uh, the reality is uh, your your CEO, your CFO, your head of sales, they're going to have a certain set of expectations around what you're going to deliver and how fast you can deliver. And mm-hmm. as a marketing leader, it's up to you to help manage those expectations and really help teach the organization about marketing and how marketing mm-hmm. works. Uh, your CEO, in most cases, will not be an expert in marketing. In my case, you know, I, I came up through marketing and now I'm a CEO. But in most cases, mm-hmm. CEOs come up through operations, they come up through finance, they come up through corporate strategy. Um, not many come up through marketing. And so one of the key jobs of the marketing leader is to, first and foremost, build the relationships with the key stakeholders in the organization. Um, so you can build trust and two, manage expectations on what you can deliver and how long it's going to take you to deliver. Right. So mm-hmm. if, if you think, yeah, you know, I worked at a business and one of the big challenges was uh, the, our SEO, you know, a lot of leads were coming in via web, but our SEO mm-hmm. was broken. And mm-hmm. so, you know, fixing, Fixing your uh, a broken search engine presence is not something you can flip a switch overnight. It's, it's months, if not years, yeah. of consistent work to get your pages ranking you know, up to page one. Mm-hmm. And so I had a CEO who said, hey, Jeff, your, your primary goal is to get us on page one for the search results. Okay? Yeah. And, I've heard and- that a lot from CEOs too that... <laughs> They just want to go to Google themselves, type in a search term, and they want to see themselves right there up at the top. And uh, to them, yeah, that, but, that's so, their success. Yeah. So what, what's my job in that case is to help that CEO understand how search engine optimization works, why we're mm-hmm. not on page one, and what it's going to take to get there, 
mm-hmm. both from a resource and, and, a, and a budget perspective, right? Yeah. And so when you do that, it opens their eyes. What's a common mistake marketers make, though, is they, they go back to the like, oh, trust us, we know it's working kind of mentality. They work in a black box where oh, it's this crazy marketing science that only we can understand and no one else in the organization could possibly understand it because marketing's so smart. Um, marketers who have that mindset are going to get fired. Uh, you can't go to a CEO and show no results and just say, oh, trust me, it's working. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or just give me six more months and we're, this is going to be huge. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe it will take six months. But again, mm-hmm. it goes back to the first point, building trust that you know what you're doing, helping leadership understand what you're trying to do, how it works, and then executing a plan and showing incremental progress along the way. So we used mm-hmm. to go in every month and say, okay, our goal is to rank number one for these 10 key terms. We think that's going to move our business in a big way. So after month one, the rankings didn't move. After month two, a couple of rankings moved up a little bit, but we were still mm-hmm. way down in the search results. Month three, they started to move a little bit more. And the executives I was working with really appreciated the transparency. And mm-hmm. if you can go in and say, hey, here's, here's what we're doing. Here's what we've learned. Here's what's working. Here's what's not. Here are the adjustments we're making. Mm-hmm. They will appreciate that. Uh, I found that executives in a business don't expect you to be perfect. They don't expect marketing to, you know, bat a thousand. But what they want to know is what's working, what's not. And for things that are not working, what are you doing about it? What's your plan to fix it? And if you could communicate those things, you will be successful. You will be successful in probably changing some minds. And in some cases, buying yourself more time to do the big things that, uh, that you know, you want to do in your program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, I want to pivot over to, to Park Mobile and and, uh, and ask you about how some of these principles apply to to Park Mobile and your career progression. Before we leave the book um, and the title, I just this is just something I'm dying to ask. But to me, that that title almost seems franchisable in the same way that the Dummies, um, you know, Dummies Guide to fill in the blank. Have you ever thought about franchising that? So how to not suck at you know, fill in the blank. <laughs> um, it was so much work to write a one book. <laughs> I don't know. I maybe maybe in my next career I'll, I'll take well, that I'm not on. Listen, but... you write any more books uh, with those <laughs> titles, but can't can't you franchise it or somehow? I, I'm not a. I, I guess this this would need to be some um, IP uh, lawyer who could answer that maybe. But... <laughs> But somebody has a franchise for the dummies book. And anytime you anybody writes a book, the dummies guide to something, they, they pay royalties to that, uh, to that franchisee or franchisor. Yeah. Sorry. But I mean, I think with this title, you could, you could do something similar without yeah. having to write anymore, uh, <laughs> but just franchise it. Yeah. Uh, I have talked about this with my publisher. Um, okay. but you know, the, we just released the book. So I think, I think probably the bigger world domination plans are going to be down the road a bit, but I, I think okay. it is a really good idea. I, 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 mean, I mean, it's such, it's such a great, <laughs> it's such a great franchisable title. Um, and the, the world is tired of the dummies. I think this, this could be the next one. Anyway, something, you know, for your next, maybe next career, next life. Um, <laughs> there you go. But let's, I want to talk about park mobile now. I mean, just, 
God, talk about product market fit. I, I, I rarely bump into something that just hit, nails product market fit in the way that <clears throat> Park Mobile has. And the numbers are staggering. I mean, you all, um, clearly you got, you got hammered by COVID, but made a massive recovery. 30 million users, and was it 75 at the start? We said 75 billion, um, was that hours or minutes? I forgot. Minutes, 75 sorry, billion minutes, minutes but, of parking. Okay, still, yeah. but that's, that probably translates to hundreds of years, I guess. I, I can't even do the math. Um, that, that is just phenomenal. Um, how many cities are you all in now? We're in over 500 cities across the US. 500 cities and, and just growing like gangbusters. Um, so many questions to ask. Um, but before we get into the app, um, I want to talk about, I want to bridge the gap from what we were just talking about. So now you've come up, you've come up through a marketing career path, previously a CMO there, and now you're the CEO. And you're talking about how marketing people should communicate with, with C-levels and executives to not only show results, but to also educate them and bring them along. Um, have you developed that culture at Park Mobile and... and um, are you seeing that happening in, in the role that you're now on the other side of it? As the CEO? I, I hope so. I hope so. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've always taken a, a view on leadership that you can't, you can't be on the executive floor, right? You can't be in a ivory tower where you're getting, you know, catered lunches and you just only talk to the other executives. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a working CEO. I'm, I got my sleeves rolled up. I'm in roadmap meetings, marketing, uh, analytics discussions. I, I'm in there with the team and the team sees mm -hmm. me in there and we're making decisions together for the business on how to, how to, how to drive it forward. And, and that's, that's really my approach. Um, and that's, that was my approach when I was the CMO and then the head of product. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm in there with the team every day. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm not, uh, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's the kind of culture we have here where, um, you know, people catch me in the hall all the time, sharing ideas. Uh, I have a, I sit in an office, but the door is always open unless I have a meeting in here and I want people to come in and talk to me and tell me what's going on. Uh, I, I really like to stay close to not just, you know, the, the other executives, but, all the people within the organization, because that's mm -hmm. yeah, you know, we have about two hundred people now, um, and that, mm -hmm. so that's a that's a good size. And so we're we're not so big that um, I, like that I shouldn't know everyone in the company. And 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 I think as as people see that I'm very accessible and very collaborative, um, that's the expectation for every executive within the organization. Mm -hmm. And and that I think creates a really great culture where it's not the executives and everyone else, but it's, we're all in this together and we're, we're really truly one team. And, yeah. um, and you know, every company I've worked at where I've really had a great experience, it's always been like that. It's been highly collaborative, highly team focused. And uh, those are the most fun places to work because you know everyone, you're in the trenches together, you're having fun together, laughing together. Uh, and hopefully celebrating a lot of wins together. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's really the, the kind of culture I'm trying to build here at Park Mobile. Yeah. And for those who, who are going to be listening, most, most of our audience are listeners. Uh, Jeff literally does have his sleeves rolled up and, and um, you'll, you'll have to watch the video to, to see the proof of that. But I, I totally get it. And I think a lot of people just having greater access to executives 
improves job satisfaction and employee retention too. That, hey, I know I can even, if, if, I, if I care enough, I can, I can just walk into Jeff's office and he has an open door policy and I can, I can share an idea with him and I could pitch him something or I could just give him some, some, uh, some other type of feedback. And I think that's, that's really critical. And even as you get bigger, so you said 200, over 200 employees now, is that right? Yes. I mean, so that's, yeah, open door policy. I mean, I imagine some days you might have a line outside the, the <laughs> um, but you're still doing it. And I think that's great. Um, so let's, let's get into, let's get into park mobile marketing and, um, to me, this is, you, you've got the app and, and basically the users need to download the app. There is not a web-based version. Am I, am I correct? We, we do have a web-based version oh, as well. Okay. There's a web-based version. Uh, but I imagine most of the users are, are uh, mobile app based. Um, or... it's, it's about, uh, of new users that are coming in today, it's about 75% mobile app. And then, um, about 25% use the mobile web. Okay. And I'm, I'm just curious about this journey of the, in particular, acquisition and, and how you're how you're looking at the the LTV to CAC ratio. Let's say, is that something that you look at? Um, are we acquiring users at the right at the right CAC relative to LTV? And and how do you alter the the marketing mix to try to test improvements to that? Am, am I? Or do you look at that, or does that's so? Still- it, so when I started here. Um, that was the way I thought I would be looking at the business because uh, mm-hmm. I, I had a, a hypothesis that, um, so when I started this company, they had done really no real marketing. Uh, you know, we, we would launch in a city, mm-hmm. put up some signs, do a press release, and then you're on to the next city launch. And that was, that was the extent of the marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the website, the corporate website that Park Mobile had when I started uh, was not even responsive for mobile devices which shows you how immature our digital presence was. And so my, my hypothesis was, this is, a, this is gonna be a business where we're really gonna accelerate user acquisition through aggressive digital marketing. Um, and you know, search engine marketing, social, uh, social ads, uh, app store ads, we're gonna, we're gonna do it all, try it all. And we did, uh, we did. And we even, we even did some traditional advertising as well. We did you know, big national radio campaign. Um, we've done stadium sponsorships. We've just done a, a, tried a ton of stuff. And after analyzing everything we've done, I realized that none of it really worked that well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what did work uh, was signage, almost you know, point of purchase signage. So having the best possible signage around the meters and pay stations is what mm-hmm. drives our acquisition. Because most people, when they download the app for the first time or they use the web app, it's when they're parking. So it's, it's kind of that, that's the point of acquisition. So to, to spend all this money on this advertising uh, for mm-hmm. what is a low involvement brand generally that you only need when you're pulling into a parking spot uh, just didn't make a ton of sense. So our custom, So after we tried all this marketing, we said, all right, I can't, go back to our board and say, hey, we're going to continue doing all of this because I have no data that shows that any of it really worked other than mm-hmm. some growth in brand awareness that we saw. Um, and so we said, all right, now we're going to shut all that off. <laughs> we still do a little bit of digital, but most of, the, most of it is shut off. And we're going to just make sure our signage is great. And we saw, you know, 
we saw no change in our user acquisition, which basically means we have probably the most efficient user acquisition engine ever built because we acquire a million users a month and we do it all through physical signage that's out on the street, mm-hmm. right? Wow. No television advertising, no radio, no digital really needed other than, you know, we have a website, we have, um, we have some, some SEO work we do, but man, it is an efficient way to acquire a lot of users. So when, um, you know, we, we've, we're sold, uh, our business was sold in June of this year and I was very involved in the, the presentations to the, um, to the buyers. And one of the things they were amazed at was, you know, our customer acquisition cost is essentially zero or mm-hmm. whatever the cost of the signage is to, to put up in cities. Yeah, and, but about to buy a million a month is like that. It's, it's, it's pennies, right? Pennies, pennies. Mm-hmm. Now, we have a, a competitor uh, called Spot Hero, uh, you may have heard of. And so Spot Hero, they have, their business is a little bit different than ours. They only do reservations. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to a sporting event or you're just driving into the city, you want to park in a garage, you can prepay for parking at a location. We actually have that service as well. Um, Spot Hero spends millions of dollars on user acquisition because they need to, they don't have a way to acquire users efficiently because most of the time people are not going to garages and thinking about, I need to make a reservation ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So what are a big advantage for us is though we acquire all of these users through on-street parking in 500 plus cities around the country, a million users a month. So now we have this great database of users that we can market to and market our reservations product and get them mm-hmm. to go from making a paying for parking on the street yeah, to then making a reservation at the stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's brilliant. And the whole thing gets more efficient as you expand your footprint too, because that just gives you that's kind of like inventory. That that's the inventory for your, uh, for, for the for those ads. Basically, you're expanding your your ad inventory by by going into new cities. Yeah, we call it the network effect. So yeah, um, the the strategy is is pretty simple. You land one city, right, mm-hmm. and then you look around that city and you say, okay, uh, are there other operators in the city? So we're on the, all the on street parking in the city. Let's go to the operators. Let's go to the university or the Mm -hmm. universities, if there are multiple universities in a city, let's go to the stadiums in the city. Okay. Mm -hmm. Once you tap out on a city and you you've maximized your, your impact there, they say, okay, let's go to the suburbs or let's go to the adjacent cities. And so a great Mm -hmm. example of this is, um, is Washington, DC. So city of Washington, DC, uh, we've been in forever. Uh, but more recently we rolled out in Arlington, Alexandria, Montgomery County, all of the, the DC metro area suburbs, right? Mm -hmm. And when we look at the data, the people who use the app in all of those suburban areas first used it in the city of DC. Mm-hmm. So it's this amazing network effect that creates. So the more yeah, but they live in the suburbs. Yeah, the more locations suburbs. we launch, yeah, yeah. more locations we launch, uh, the more users have more places to use the app. So mm-hmm. it's it's really um, it, it's and so now we're on just this great flywheel where mm-hmm. we don't have to spend a ton of money in marketing we keep rolling out in new locations because what cities like and what parking operators like is that we bring an audience with us now. So mm-hmm. if we're going to roll out in a city, we say to the city, Hey, there's already 500,000 park mobile app users in your city. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just put up signs and all of a sudden, uh, you know, people are using the app. So it's, it's this great flywheel yeah. that so is super efficient. Just say we're, we're now live 
and you're almost telling existing customers now that we're live now and you can actually start using it exactly here exactly. In, in the metro area or something yeah that's that's fascinating wow i mean what a what a brilliant model once it gets to scale it's just it's brilliant yeah do you look at do you look at an roi or some kind of unit economics on on a on a city i mean geographic i mean do you have a a t typical investment in a city and then there's a payback period on that or um is that is that a metric that you look at well the, the really the big investment you make in a city is on the upfront where you're putting signage up in a city mm -hmm. and so that could cost that you know it, it's not so expensive but it costs several thousand dollars to to put signs on every single meter or signs up on uh poles and so that mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the expense lies in launching a city but generally you will recuperate that within the first year Mm -hmm. So it's it's a very quick return on your investment uh, for to mm -hmm. pay for the the signage and some of the man hours that go into getting a city live. Uh, but what's what's great about our business is that so we look at our um, our our clients in cohorts. We say, all right, here's a clients that have been with us from one to three years, clients three to five, clients five years or more. Mm -hmm. And what's really exciting about the business and and the future potential of the business is that clients that have been with us for one to three years are growing over a hundred percent a year during those first three years in the transaction volume and the revenue mm -hmm. clients that are with us from three to five years are still growing about 50% and clients that are with us five or more years are still growing about 15% a year. So in this mix of all of these different cities and locations that we have, we still have huge growth over time. Because you know, we would love to launch a city and you have 100% adoption right away of mobile payments, but it takes mm -hmm. a bit of a time to grow and to expand. So, um, so that's what's really exciting is that if, if we just said, okay, we're going we're gonna to reduce our expenses in this business today, we're going we're gonna to just kind of, you're basically milking a, a very big cash cow because you know over five years, just our base of clients will continue to grow at a, at a, mm -hmm. at a double to triple digit rate every year from a revenue mm -hmm. perspective. Of course, we're not, we're not at that stage yet. We want to grow faster. So we're investing uh, mm -hmm. to grow. Uh, so it's, um, it's just a very exciting time to be at the business because we have, you yeah. know, uh, you like, I use this word flywheel, but really once you get on that flywheel, it's amazing because it's just the growth just happens and it's so exponential and so fast. And so now that we're through what was a really tough year in 2020, um, yeah, I mean, it's been amazing just to see this business really take off again. Yeah. You all are still only in the U.S., is that correct? Or I saw maybe Puerto Rico, there was a... So we launched in Puerto Rico, which, you know, U.S. territory. We're in Canada as well uh, with, mm -hmm. with our business. So, um, yeah, Park Mobile is North America. And then our owner mm -hmm. uh, is a, a company in Stockholm called Easy Park. And they, mm -hmm. they have a really big presence in Europe. So between... Uh, our parent company and our company, we have this just huge global presence, uh, both in the U.S. and overseas. Yeah. How much more growth is possible in, in, in North America at this point? How many, how many decent sized cities are, are still out there to be signed on? So we're about to launch in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. That's the mm -hmm. number 12 city by population in the United States. Oh, really? They have not had a mobile app until now. Um, yeah. We're about to launch in Des Moines, Iowa, another very large city, uh, Spokane, Washington, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Richmond, Virginia. So we're actually rolling out 
You still have some big, yeah, some big cities that are still uh, on the board. There, there are big cities on the board. What there are, um, I I think the more common cities though, it's the the mid-sized cities that Mm -hmm. do have some paid parking, but only have hardware uh, and meters, and they're going to mobile. So from a uh, acquisition point of view, acquiring new customers, there's tons of uh, tons of blue space or green space out there to go get a lot of new customers who don't have a mobile app in the city yet. Um, but even with our existing base of customers, um, the average mobile adoption is usually below 50%. Mm-hmm. So that means we have another, uh, you know, another 50% of transactions that are still going through the meters yeah. uh, and, and pay stations that we can still go get as well. And yeah. so you, you look at the growth of our existing client base, plus all these other clients that are still out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there there's a, you know, we, we are by no means a mature business. So you land in a city and immediately you get all the early adopters and then you, then you just have this natural momentum that carries into the, into the, I guess the mass where eventually as those cohorts age, I mean, you have the numbers to prove it one to three years, triple digit growth, three to five years, still 50% growth. So it's, it almost feels like that tech, the technology adoption curve or something where once you land in a city, the early adopters all jump, but then there's that natural, without you having to do more marketing there, there's just the natural momentum that carries it up that curve. And then, uh, and then you're a mass product in, in about three years, then most of the popul- the driving population, I guess you call it, uh, has, has the app and has used it at least once. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever have to stimulate or re-engage people that are, are are no longer active users, but you know they have downloaded the app and used it once? We like have um, marketing kind of stuff. Yeah, we, we do a ton of uh, user engagement for different mm-hmm. uh, different segments. So we have a segment that the people who download the app and don't use it, so they have a specific campaign they get, um, and then we have a big effort around re-engagement. So as as people mm-hmm. drop out uh, and haven't done a transaction. In, in three to six months, we have campaigns to try to get them back to using the app again. Mm-hmm. And, and then we also have campaigns around people who are uh, consistent users of the app, but we want to expose them to our reservations option mm-hmm. because the majority of our transactions are just you, you, you pull into a parking spot, use the app to pay. Uh, wouldn't it be great to get those people using our another product yeah. uh, for reservations? So when they go to the, the sporting events or the concerts, they're also using the app to book with Park Mobile. Yeah. Yeah. So really there's growth in three dimensions. There's, there's pure geographic growth, exp- expanding your footprint to, the, to a lot of mid-sized cities that are still untapped. There's that natural momentum growth, let's call it, as you know, just aging, aging of the cohorts. And then there's the cross-sell and, and into the reservation app. So after reservations, what's next? What's the next killer feature? I think the next one, the next killer feature is really going to be about um, uh, corporate fleets. I'm very excited about corporate fleet. So right now uh, we have a lot of drivers that are using the park mobile app uh, that are driving corporate vehicles Mm -hmm. and we don't have a good mechanism to go to their corporation say, Hey, consolidate all your cars together uh, Mm -hmm. and then give the drivers the park mobile app, but it all ties back to a business account. So Mm -hmm. for you as a, a fleet manager in a large company that has a lot of vehicles on the road, you can see where the vehicles are parking you can consolidate the payments into one payment method. Yeah. Uh, and so you don't have to deal with your drivers trying to submit expense reports. And so mm-hmm. we think we think that's actually a really, really interesting business. I got I to agree with you there. 
that's that's um, awesome. Yeah, because these drivers are using the app already, but to be able to give the fleet operators and managers an easy tool so they can manage all of this parking for cars company within your account. organization. Yeah, you can go from personal yeah. accounts to company accounts. Yeah, yeah that's, and, that's like, and the, the thing that we, um, the, you know, so a lot of companies are giving drivers uh, credit cards for gas and tolls. Mm-hmm. Why not parking, right? So that's that I think is a really interesting um, yeah. business. We, we think, you know, down the road, um, connecting parking and EV charging as you get, you know, a bigger volume of EV charging uh, EV vehicles on the street. That's going to oh, be really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, and and then on the city side, we think there's actually some interesting opportunities for us to leverage our data and help cities make smarter policy decisions around parking. Um, mm-hmm. We have so much data on where people are parking, what times of day, what days of week. Uh, mm-hmm. We think we could use that data so and, and give it to the cities so the cities can then um, look at their parking policies to see if they're, mm-hmm. they have the right parking policies for different areas. So an example is a city may have one parking rate across the entire city. So it's two bucks an hour, four hour max across the entire city. But mm-hmm. certain parts of the city, there's never a parking <laughs> spot, yeah. right? Other parts of the city, you can always find parking. Yeah. So it's a bad policy to have the same rates and hourly maximums for the entire mm-hmm. city. What yeah. the city needs to do is say, hey, we should up the rates in the highest demand areas yeah. and lower the amount of time people could stay there. So we're turning cars more frequently. Surge um, pricing, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you lower the rates in areas mm-hmm. that um, are less popular. Uh, yeah. that, and, and you'll get, you may get cars to drive you know, a couple blocks further to get cheaper parking and you distribute the cars, you know, more evenly across the city. So there's, mm-hmm. there's things, there's data like that, that we have that we can help cities make better, smarter policy decisions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think there's an adjacent industry that's booming right now, which is just the corporate, the corporate cards, company cards, and the way that people are uh, paying for stuff now. Um, there, there's a really hot Bulgarian startup where I'm based in Bulgaria. Uh, it's called Payhawk. And they just raised uh, around $20 million with, with about a $500 million valuation, Series B. And it's, I mean, it's really a modern version of a company card that really um, allows um, for, for paperless receipts, no, no more paper receipts. And it's the same kind of a concept where you're, you're just moving your employees from using their personal accounts for different services or paying paying cash, getting receipts, bringing those back. And then you're just consolidating all that into an app, which is easy to categorize. And, and it's a CFO's dream. And I think that's a little bit of an adjacent concept to what you talked about with the corporate, I mean, just with the, with the corporate app. Um, and yeah, it makes sense. I mean, Uber's, Uber, Uber's doing that. And, and the other, I mean, the ride sharing apps all have corporate accounts. It, it, it makes perfect sense. That's the next uh, frontier. Well, I mean, this is, Good times ahead for, for you, Jeff. I think, uh, and and for Park Mobile, it's awesome. Yeah, we think so. No, we we uh, <laughs> listen. Twenty twenty was a a kick in the ass. There's there's no question. You know, we yeah, had a I imagine. We were growing like crazy going into twenty twenty. Uh, COVID happened. Uh, you, you know, if if people aren't going out of their house, people aren't commuting into cities. They're not paying to park, and and we sure. make money when people park. And so it was a, a really tough year. Um, I'm really proud of the organization, though, because we we were able to weather the storm. Um, we didn't let go any of our people, even though our revenue was down 95. percent um, And now that we're coming back, I mean, it's just it's such a great feeling to see that we 
you know, mm-hmm. we kind of got through that adversity and now we're on the other side of it. And, um, yeah. and it's really fun again. Uh, there were some dark days there last, uh, last year. I won't, I, won't uh, yeah, lie, I can but, imagine. Yeah. When, um, when you see revenue fall off a cliff and the world changes overnight like that. Um, yeah, I can imagine that was tough, but then how rewarding is it that you made the really tough decision? You retained all your full-time employees, right? I mean, we did, we did. I, yeah. I heard that in a previous podcast and, um, what a courageous move because how much more satisfying is that now that those people know they stuck with me now I'm now I'm going to give I'm going to give them 150% because yeah. the first thing that they were they I expected them to fire me when they lost all that revenue but they stuck with me now I'm going to give it back to them and um I I think that that is a kind of um that that that's a move that, that there's no words to describe that that that's just action saying we we're investing in you long-term you, you people. And, uh, we're going to get through this. This is a big bump in the road, but the world will come back. People will get back in their cars. People will park again and might be, I mean, it's a matter of months. It's not a matter of years. And, uh, we've invested in you guys and, and you're not going anywhere. And, and if you have the investors and in you have the corporate infrastructure also, I think that to provide you a bit of a safety net. So that also helps, I imagine. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. We, yeah. um, at the time, uh, during COVID, we were owned by BMW and Daimler, All right. and so it's it's good to have uh, large organizations that are your owners because they weren't gonna they weren't gonna let us go under. Obviously, uh, yeah, so yeah, had, they could just had, they could absorb that, and and they um, also know it's pro- probably it's a, it's a one year hit here, but this is a this is still a great business model. And yeah, what happens if you you see that it comes back too fast, and then what do you do? You have to hire back those people or try to hire a lot of other new people and onboard them and um, and then you're just scrambling to play catch up as the market comes back faster than you can, then you can resupply the, the, the talent. So that would be, a, that would have been a bigger mistake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Well, and you know, the other thing we found during COVID was while it was a really tough year from a revenue perspective, it was a great year from a client acquisition perspective because all these cities that had maybe delayed their programs around getting a mobile app suddenly mm-hmm. they were um, they were in a tough spot. They needed a mobile app. They needed yeah, a contactless contact option. Yeah. Uh, they didn't want to have um, people touching the meters, putting cash in the meters that they would then have to put um, enforcement yeah. people out to collect. They, mm-hmm. they, they were desperate to get a mobile app. So we, we acquired, we had a record year for client acquisition last year uh, mm-hmm. during COVID because everyone realized, you know, in, in over the next couple months, as people come back, we need we need to have a contactless option for them. If we don't, yeah, it's going to yeah. be a bad thing. So I have a fun question for you, Jeff. Uh, well, ho- hopefully. Um, so it's kind of amazing that parking meters are still there. I mean, I imagine that the, 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 there are telephone booths, you know, that from the old days. And eventually, these cities they're going to be like a museum a museum piece in, in these cities. That oh yeah, the, your grandfather's going to tell you that. You know, we used to take these coins and put them in these machines right here, and they, that would allow us to park here for an hour. Um, but those things, they're not, I don't know if they're going to remove them in cities at some point, but how does a city, uh, how does a city have an imaginative reuse of, of parking meters the way that they've turned telephone booths into, I don't know, Wi-Fi hotspots or something? Uh, some cities are actually, they're having fun with the, the parking meters. They're painting them fun colors. They're decorating mm-hmm. them. They're putting, you know, a unicorn horn on them. Um, they make them, they're painting them. So it looks like a gumball machine. So you, you see a lot of interesting, um, uh, ideas out there and uses of these parking meters, but the reality is, uh, most of them are, are getting ripped out, especially, you know, there's two kinds of parking meters today. 
Okay. There are what are called single space meters. So that's when you pull into a parking spot and there's a meter in front of every single parking spot, right? That is largely going away. Uh, okay. Most cities are going to what are called multi-space meters. So there's one kiosk, maybe two on a city block. Mm-hmm. And so instead of taking up all this uh, curb real estate with with individual parking meters, now you have like two kiosks that you put out there that have a screen and you go in and you, you pay for parking using those. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you have to have them? Why isn't everything on an app? Well, the truth is, uh, in any city, there are a lot of people who um, don't have a credit card, um, are underbanked, uh, but and so have to pay with cash. So we think really the future. You're probably you're probably never going to get rid of all of the the hardware on the street, but you're going to have a lot less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're so the majority of people will be using a mobile app, and then um, you know the people who are maybe underbanked will still have a cash option that they can pay at the uh, at the at the hardware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Well, Jeff, this has been great. I mean, I, I imagine you've got to get to your next meeting soon. And um, there was another there was another topic of, of personal branding, which we never got into. But maybe maybe if I'll have you back on uh, a second time, I'd love to go into that. Is there is there any final thing that that maybe that I didn't ask you that you would like to share with our audience? No. Well, if they want to if anyone's interested in the book, they can go to how not to suck at marketing dot com. Uh, where you can read an excerpt okay. and you could uh, find out how to how to order it. Uh, so yeah. so check that out if you're interested. Um, it's also available on the Kindle if you don't like to read the uh, the old fashioned books. Um, yeah, but I, you know I hope I hope people have a chance to to read the book and if if you read it and have some interesting thoughts on it, um, you could just ping me on LinkedIn and because uh, I love to I love to dialogue with people about the book and get their thoughts and feedback on it. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and I can say so far, it looks like all five-star reviews are on Amazon. So you're off to a great start. And yeah, I, I, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, I have a lot of friends, that, good friends <laughs> that are, are generous in their reviews. Uh, no, I think, um, yeah, yeah, probably some of that's friends and family, but I have to believe that that's the start of a, of a really uh, optimistic trend. So good luck, good luck with, uh, with, with that first book, and, and hopefully that leads you to another one. And I'd love to have you back on to explore topics around personal, personal branding. Um, but I just got too excited about park mobile, I guess. And, and, um, what, what an amazing flywheel and good luck. Good luck. I think, uh, exciting times ahead. Thanks Paris. It was great to be with you. Same here. All right. Take care, Jeff. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, Be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.